You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Listen, I've been thinking a lot lately about food. I've been thinking about food and just this really powerful, intimate connection that we have with food that we oftentimes don't think about. You know, what you take from outside here in the world, right? And you put it inside of your mouth and it becomes a part of you, you at least some of it. And we get to decide what we're making ourselves out of, right? And I've been a student and teaching uh, about nutrigenomics for many years now, you know, for a little over a decade and understanding the really powerful way. And only today is it really coming to the forefront of how each bite of food that we consume, each molecule affects our genetic expression, right? We're literally activating certain genetic programs and, and turning off other genetic programs based on the decision we make with the food we're eating. So it's not this case that, you know, food is just calories. It's just energy. No. When we decide what we eat, we're deciding what our genes are going to do, all right? That way outweighs the whole concept of like trying to lose weight just by cutting calories, all right? Because as you'll discover today, there are certain approaches to diet where you can eat the same amount of calories, but with one, you'll lose more weight. And this is because it's affecting your hormones. The food, every bite of food that you eat affects your neurotransmitters. It affects all of your internal organs. It's not just one thing that it does. Food doesn't operate in isolation. So I've been thinking a lot about this lately. You know, of course, it's a big part of my life, but I've been thinking about it more. And it's because of our guest today and his brand new book, Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? Right? What the heck should I eat? Because there's so much conflicting information out there. There's so much misinformation. And there's also a lot of great information that a lot of us don't know about yet, you know, because the, with the internet, things can be pretty scattered. And so even the concept of like putting your ear to the street, I don't even know if that's even a real thing, if anybody's ever done that. Wait, wait, probably has like some trackers back in the day, like, you know, it was like, you know, put the ear to the ground. Yeah, they're, they, they were here too. It's two miles, two miles ago. They, they've got, uh, you know, they were on horseback. One of them didn't have a shirt on, right? We had trackers, I'm sure, that were able to, to, to dissect and find things, but we don't do that now. Now it's the internet. That's how we connect. That's how we relate. That's how we get a lot of our information and also wonderful books like we're going to be talking about today. And I promise this information, this content is paramount and it's vital and it's important and it's consolidated in this incredible work. And He's definitely one of the best teachers in the world. He definitely had a, a huge impact on me in my approach in my clinical practice, you know, many, many, many years ago and finding out information from him, reading his books, uh, listening to his lectures and also uh, becoming a friend and somebody who I've really just um, seen not only affect the lives of, you know, people in this space, but he's one of the guys that reaches out further and touches the lives of people who would otherwise not have the opportunity to get this kind of information. And so that is what he is capable of. And I'm grateful to have him on today to share with you and to learn some really cool stuff as well. Before we get to our guest, I want to talk about the other process of what happens with our food. You know, not everything that we eat becomes us. You know, some of it gets assimilated. Other parts have to get eliminated. All right. You got to pull it out. All right. The waste. And also there's metabolic waste just from 
the whole experience of like, you know, even if you think about something like estrogen, right? Your body has to eliminate that. Uh, one of the major ways is through your colon, right? And so we want to make sure that we don't have recycled estrogen literally getting absorbed in our colon and recycled and put back into our tissue matrix because that actually is a thing, all right? This might sound totally new and foreign, but your body is very thrifty at how it operates, you know? So we want to make sure that everything is moving in a natural process. And a big issue with that is, crazy enough, is using a conventional toilet for our elimination because it is not designed in a way that humans are naturally designed, our personal design, to eliminate waste. And so we see these issues. Number one, we see radical increases in incidence of things like hemorrhoids, of things like diverticulosis, where your organs are getting pushed out of place because of the internal force that you're using, pushing and straining on a conventional toilet. And this is because of your puborectalis muscle that's kind of like a sling that uh, makes sure that your, uh, your colon isn't just dropping off cargo as you're walking around. So when you're standing upright, the puborectalis muscle is fully um, uh, pinching off that process. However, you could strain and push and poop while standing, I'm sure. I'm sure somebody's done it, all right? Not a good image, all right? However, you know, getting down slightly in a seated position only releases it uh, a small amount. Getting in a full resting squat is what we call it, is the way that humans are designed. And that angle is what's natural to eliminate waste. Now, this might sound like a, a, a kind of a weird issue or a taboo issue, but it shouldn't be because there are many people who are suffering. We see, you know, with issues like uh, constipation, radical increase in incidence. We're talking about 30% increase in incidence of colon cancer because they're not properly eliminating their waste. That's just not right. And who's getting educated on this? Now, am I asking everybody to, to, to perch up on your toilet or to go in the backyard? You know, got to let the dogs out and let myself out too. I'm not asking you to do that. What I am asking you to do is make sure you get yourself a squatty potty. Now, this fits onto your already existing toilet. This just slides in and slides out. It doesn't actually have an attachment to it. And it, it's something that helps to, you know, you put your feet up on it and you get yourself into a natural uh, resting squat position. And it's been found across the board. I'm telling you, there's life before the squatty potty and life after to dramatically improve your elimination and improve, improve your health. I promise once you use the squatty potty, you're not, you're not going to want to go if you don't have one. It's just like you want that advantage. You want that home field advantage, right? And also, you know, for folks who have been utilizing squatty potty, who, who are out there on the road and traveling, things like that, they now have... The travel squatty, which I love. I always pack this and put it into my suitcase. All right, it's a travel squatty that folds up. You can get the traditional squatty potty, and they've got, like, if you want to be fancy, like, they've got the bamboo. They've got the classic eco model, which I have, and I, I've given this away to friends so many times I can't even tell you. Um, and also the travel squatty, and they've got new squatty potties for kids as well. And so you can get 15% off all, every single one of their products, uh, they're different squatty potties over at squattypotty.com forward slash model. This is exclusive for the Model Health Show. Squattypotty.com. So that's S-Q-U-A-T-T-Y-P-O-T-T-Y.com forward slash model. And you get 15% off. And guess what? Free shipping. All right. Because that's one of the things. You get the squatty potty and it's like, well, I don't know about this shit. This makes it less expensive than anywhere else you're going to find the squatty potty. All right, guys. So make sure to do yourself and your health a favor. 
Get your Squatty Potty like yesterday. All right, squattypotty.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the iTunes review of the week. Another five-star review titled Eternally Grateful by Happy Amy Ness. All choked up writing this. So glad I found your podcast. I recently began my journey back to health. I've had so many law of attraction moments recently, such as finding a healthcare provider that works with nutrition and exercise to solve my health issues that include insulin resistance and depression. Another moment is finding your podcast, which embodies all the important elements, fitness, science, spirituality, encouragement, and joy. It is part of my everyday morning routine. I know this is my time for health and happiness. Thank you for supporting me. Eternally grateful. Oh man, that just made my whole month right there. Happy aiminess. <laughs> I love that. That's so powerful. And, um, you know, thank you for, for sharing that and for having me as a part of your story and making me a part of your world. Uh, I'm just very grateful that uh, I could be, you know, honored enough to have a story like that shared. And uh, please, everybody, thank you for leaving these reviews over on iTunes. If you get to do so, pop over and leave me a review for the show. Uh, sometimes it get a little bit, it's, wow, it's just really overwhelming to even uh, get this kind of uh, feedback because this is why I do what I do. And uh, pl- I promise you, I'm not stopping anytime soon. I've got some really amazing things coming up for you. So make sure to stay tuned and locked in. And none better than today in this moment with our special guest who is just an absolute legend, Dr. Mark Hyman. Dr. Mark Hyman is a practicing family physician, a 10-time New York Times bestselling author, and an internationally recognized leader, speaker, educator, and advocate in the field of functional medicine. He is the Pritzker Foundation Chair in Functional Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine and director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. Legendary, legendary place. And he is also the founder and director of the Ultra Wellness Center, chairman of the Institute for Functional Medicine, medical editor of the Huffington Post, and a regular medical contributor in the media for CBS This Morning, Good Morning America, CNN, The Dr. Oz Show, and more. And now he's back for his second appearance on the Model Health Show. I'd like to welcome Dr. Mark Hyman. How you doing today, Mark? Great, Sean. Thanks for having me, man. I'm so grateful to have you on and to talk about your new project. I was just telling you before the show, I, you know, there's a lot of stuff we talk about on the show, but the way that you put it together, I read every word. I didn't want to miss a word. And there's so many <laughs> things I've highlighted. And I just want to jump right in here because I got to ask you about this. You mentioned in the book that a top executive at Pepsi told you how excited he was that they had learned how to grow and harvest human taste buds in a lab. First of yeah. all, why did Pepsi let you in? Don't they know who who you are? Second of all, what's up with this? This is kind of like some creepy, futuristic yeah. stuff here. Well, Pepsi has a, a whole meme. They go, well, we, there's food that's good for you, and there's food that's fun for you. Mm. Now, what they mean by fun is literally fun in the sense of like an addictive party drug. Because wow. the foods yeah. that they produce are designed to create addiction and to hijack your brain chemistry and your metabolism and your taste buds. In fact, I met with the vice chair of Pepsi, nice guy, smart guy. He was the head of the Mayo Clinic Endocrinology, which is, you know, no shabby job before he got the job at, 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 uh, at Pepsi. He's also a diabetic. And uh, he was sitting at dinner with me and he was eating, you know, 
pasta, bread, desserts, sugar. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're diabetic. He says, no, no, if I take my medications and I run and I jog, I'm fine. And I'm like, well, let me get this straight. Is, is 1,800 calories of Pepsi the same as 1,800 calories of almonds or broccoli? He goes, yes. And I'm like, well, how does that make sense even intuitively, right? <clears throat> we know now that all calories are not the same. So they have a very clear view that all calories are the same. So it doesn't matter if they're Coca-Cola or Pepsi calories or Dorito calories, as long as you don't eat too many and you exercise, you lose weight. And that is one of the biggest myths out there. Eat less, exercise more, will cause weight loss is just simply wrong. It's the quality of the food, not how much you eat that matters. Right. And, then he, and then he said, Mark, guess what? You know, we got this Westchester lab, we've harvested taste buds. We're actually going to create models where we can stimulate those taste buds and see how to maximize sort of create pleasure. And it's like, I'm like, whoa, you don't want to be telling me that. He says, come visit. I'm like, yeah, but you know, you don't, there's something called social media. You want me, you don't want me like advertising this stuff for you. And I was like, and he, he was really sincere about it. Right. And he really felt this was a good thing. But when we look at, you know, the, the data on this, it's frightening. There's a guy named Michael Moss who wrote a book called Salt, Sugar, and Fat about uh, the food industry. And he interviewed 300 food industry executives and, and scientists and people who work for the food industry. And he, he found that internally they have things called taste institutes where they hire craving experts. These are scientists designed to create addiction that know how to use chemicals to alter your brain chemistry to create what we call the bliss point of food. And then they talk about heavy users. They want to create heavy users. So rather than getting someone like me to drink soda, they're going to go to the people who are already using and get them to be use more. Instead of drinking a liter of soda, they want them to drink two liters of soda a day. And they target the poor and the minorities. And they're, they're, you know, they seem like good actors and corporate social responsibility, but it's all a big charade to sell more products to, and privatize the profits and socialize the cost by all the fallout from consuming those foods on health, on, on, on our economy, on our agriculture. So it's really kind of a mess. And I think people don't understand the implications of the food they're eating. And it's not just a personal choice. They're having, with every bite of food they're taking, they're impacting our soil, our water, our environment, climate change, their health, the economy, our social structures, poverty, violence, everything mm. is connected to the food we eat. You know, this is, first of all, this is messed up, but also it's kind of inspiring <laughs> at the same time. You know, Mark, it was probably 10 years ago, uh, I was listening to a lecture that you did, and I, I didn't share this with you before, but you're the first person I heard use this term, and it struck me. Like, it literally just... What did I say? No, this is, this is incredible. And I've, and I've shared this statement many times, is that food isn't just food, it's information. Yeah. Right? Food yeah. isn't just food, it's information. And so right. we've got scientists who are world-class, some of the smartest people around, who are working on finding a way that when you bring in this particular data from a processed food, from soda and things like that, to mm -hmm. maximize the response and the addictive response yeah. in yeah. the body to get you to eat more yeah. of this food and like be masterful because it's not even real. That's the thing, it's not even real food. So I wanna talk now about, you mentioned earlier that you know calories are not created equal, you know, and what we're looking at here is, what is this calorie, let's, let's take the comparison of uh, broccoli and Doritos, right? Yeah. This is gonna impact your body very differently if it's 300 calories of each. And why is Ooh. that? What is the main component behind the scenes? Why are they different in how they affect us? Well, what we now know is that every time you take a bite of food, it affects your hormones, your brain chemistry, your metabolism, your gut flora, your gene expression, your immune system, right? 
And it's not the calories that do that per se, it's the quality of the information in the food. So you can turn on all the signals for health and disease by eating a Dorito, same calories, you're gonna turn on all the signals for health and healing eating, let's say, broccoli or almonds. And it's a very very different effect. For example, let's just take like a a great example of like a, a big gulp, right? A big gulp is 750 calories. It's got 46, oh no, it's got, I think, I don't know, ridiculous amounts of sugar, like 70 something grams of sugar. Um, It has no fiber. When you consume it, it causes your liver to become inflamed. It causes your triglycerides to go up, your HDLs to go down, your body to produce insulin, it stores belly fat, it lowers your testosterone, it makes you hungry, it loses, causes you to lose muscle, it increases stress hormones, all these things are happening dynamically when you consume a big gulp. If you have 750 calories of, of broccoli, that's 21 cups of broccoli. I mean, good luck if you can eat 21 cups of broccoli. <laughs> it's right. got you know, 35 grams of fiber. It's got no sugar. It doesn't affect your body in the same way. It doesn't turn on insulin. It doesn't make you have a fatty liver. It doesn't screw up your cholesterol. It doesn't lower your hormones. It actually increases detoxification, prevents cancer, helps you detox metals, helps increase your healthy gut flora. Exactly the same calories, profoundly different effects on the body. That's so powerful. Just just for us to really kind of take a second and like let that sink in, that the whole thing with this calorie myth that all calories are created equal, this has long been banished. And you even have research in your book indicating how, you know, particular foods, you know, if somebody eats maybe a higher ratio of healthy dietary fats, that they'll actually lose more weight over the same amount of time, not doing any more exercise compared to people who are eating a higher carbohydrate diet with same calories. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. So what we now know is that certain calories raise insulin. Carbohydrates predominantly, mostly grains or flour particularly, and sugar, anything that turns to sugar. And that fat doesn't raise insulin. So if you take, for example, a type one diabetic, this is an easy example for people to understand. They don't make insulin. Their pancreas shut down. These people are eating 10,000 calories a day. They're not gaining a pound. They're losing weight eating 10,000 calories a day, right? Because they have no insulin and insulin's required to store the fat. And they're eating carbs, they're eating sugar, they're eating fat, whatever. They're eating whatever, but they still can't gain weight because they have no insulin. When you eat carbohydrates, you spike insulin and it stores fat. It slows your metabolism, it locks the fat in the fat cells, it makes you hungry. When you eat fat, you don't produce insulin. So if you reduce carbs dramatically, and you increase fat, you can't combine them because that's deadly. I call that sweet fat. You actually will increase your metabolism by about three to 400 calories a day. That's like running an hour a day without getting off the couch, mm. even if you're eating the same amount of calories. And this study has been done. Uh, in fact, uh, last week in the um, Journal of the American Medical Association, there was an amazing article about ketogenic diets and type 2 diabetes and weight loss, showing that when you dramatically increase fat in the diet, you correct all the cardiovascular risk factors, you increase the speed of your metabolism, you cause far more weight loss. In type 2 diabetics, you get them off insulin, off their medications, and their blood sugars are better than when they were on medication. And I see this all the time. We're at Cleveland Clinic, and we've run pilots where we've taken the most treatment-resistant diabetics who are on tons of meds, on insulin. We get them off all of that in eight weeks, and, and their blood sugars are far better and almost normal compared to the ones when they were on the drugs. So we have the ability to, to actually show how this is working. And there's a big study going on now 
at Harvard with a $12 million study funded independently by a philanthropist who wants to show this. And it's, they're locking people in a resort. They're feeding them either a very high-fat diet, very low-carb, or the opposite, low-fat, low high-carb. And they're measuring what happens on the same amount of calories. And they're seeing what they take in, what their metabolism is. And the data is just so compelling. And yet the truth is, Sean, that every doctor, nutritionist, public health association, government, food industry, all still say the mantra, eat less, exercise more. It's based on outdated science and it's harmful for people because it blames the victim. It's your fault, you're fat, just eat less, exercise more. Well, if your brain's hijacked, willpower is a fiction. You know, you can't, right? Right. You know, there's, well, first of all, you know, I'm thinking about even the American uh, Diabetic Association, you know, the recommendations for nutrition, and they're literally telling people to eat foods that can spike insulin. Yeah. And the reality is this. And so, by the way, this is going to, you know, I've got to have a little controversy here today because, okay. you know, there's films out there like What the Health, right? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a, there's a, a licensed propaganda movie. A licensed physician saying, you know what, diabetes is not caused by sugar, it's caused by fat intake. All right. So, before I see you like, ah, let me. All right, so here's the thing. Listen, guys, this is what I want you to do. Make sure to put to pick up Dr. Hyman's new book, Food. What the heck should I eat? Because let me tell you this. All of us, everybody listening, all of us, our family, we understand there's a lot of conflicting information out there. And there's a lot of different choices. And there are a lot of things that are right. And there are also some things that are pretty dangerous that are considered to be right. And so what he's doing is taking the best of each of these fields, whether it's vegetarian food, whether it's paleo food, whether it's a ketogenic approach, and he's looking at, like, let's actually look at the data. Let's have a talk about it and also <laughs> use our rational common yeah. sense in the mix, you know? So uh, before we get to the controversy, I want to know what inspired you personally to write this. I know for me, you know, this is one of the things we work on here with the show is drilling down and getting to the heart of the matter. So what was the inspiration for you? Well, I, you know, the inspiration is I've been studying nutrition for 40 years. I've read tens and thousands of papers. I've treated tens of thousands of patients. And the question that always comes up is, what should I eat? Yeah. People just are confused. They don't know. They don't understand. And they're making bad choices, not because they don't want to do the right thing, because they just don't know. And I think there's so much conflicting information out there. You know, one day eggs are good, bad, then they're good. One day steak is bad, then it's good. One day butter's bad, then it's good. One day oatmeal's good, then it's bad. It's like enough to make anybody crazy and just say, I heck with it, I give up and I'm gonna eat whatever I want. The truth is we know a lot. When you combine the full body of scientific literature, not just cherry picking studies that support your point of view, and you look at the clinical picture, which you know I have a rare opportunity because I've been testing metabolic rates and nutritional status and blood tests and cholesterol and cardiovascular risk factors for 30 years and using diet and food to manipulate those numbers and to affect the quality of people's health. So I've seen this. It's not just some crazy idea I have that I read in a book. It's actually based on experience plus common sense plus sort of a sense of our evolutionary biology and what makes sense. Does it make sense for us to consume a thousand times more refined vegetable oils than we did 100 years ago? Probably not. Does it make sense for us to c consume, you know, 150 pounds of sugar when we maybe had 22 teaspoons of sugar a year when we we're out hunting gathering? Probably not, right? These are just common sense things. So you combine all those things, and I really felt like people needed to, to get a book where they will go one-stop shopping 
and look at each category of the foods we eat, meat, poultry, fish, dairy, vegetables, fruit, nuts, seeds, beans, grains, sweeteners, sugars, beverages, and know what to choose in each of those categories based on one, what's the science, what it does to your body, the effects on the planet, on human rights, and on our greater society. So you can make an educated choice about eating food that's good for you, good for the planet, and good for the world. And I think that's really the goal of this book is very simple, very clear, you know, addressing all the key topics of controversy. So if you've ever said, what about blah, it's in the book. Because mm -hmm. I've asked, been asked these questions so many times, so I know the questions that people have. And I've sifted through the science and made it really simple and clear. So by the end, you have resources of where to go. Let's say you want to find the cheap grass-fed beef online. Where do you go? Let's say you want to know which vegetables should you eat organic or not and what matters. Where, here's where you go to find out. And I go through all that in the book. And it's a, hopefully a, a guide that people can use forever. You can keep it in your kitchen. You can keep it with you when you go to the grocery store. You can share it with your friends and family. It's really, for me, I feel like my favorite book I've ever written because it gives people a holistic view of food and nutrition. And it also includes some of the political, social, environmental aspects as well. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that was very uh, enlightening to see as well. So that's what I want to talk about is let's, let's jump back now and look at this controversy, right? When we have a physician out there who's, you know, sharing this propaganda, something that is like just this is totally against human physiology, saying that it's fat that's causing diabetes. So let's talk about that. You have a section in here talking about fats and oils. So where did this like insane information, and by the way, let's start with the coconut thing, right? Coconut <laughs> was slammed in the media a little while ago. It was everywhere. People yeah. were posting me, Sean, what do you think about this? Yeah. So let's talk about saturated fat and the truth about whether or not it's fat that's really bad for you or whether it's this issue with insulin. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. You know, um, yeah, <laughs> it's such a controversy. And I think, you know, what you said in that movie, What the Health, was, you know, a guy in a white coat who seems like an intelligent man who's a trained physician with a license says sugar and carbohydrates have nothing to do with diabetes or obesity. And another guy in the movie says, Garth Davis says, carbohydrates can't be stored. Only fat can be stored. Now, this is just basic biochemistry. I mean, maybe they missed their biochemistry class. And the reason they <laughs> believe this is not based on science. It's based on dogma. So you can't let your beliefs and your dogma overtake science and disrupt your point of view. I don't have a particular belief. You know, I've been a vegetarian, a vegan. I've been paleo. I've been everything in between. And, you know, I, I'm trying to understand what works. I'm, I'm curious about what really works. Now, this whole issue about fat. You know, it's, I wrote a whole book called Eat Fat, Get Thin, where I address this in detail. Yeah. But the issue is really, how do, we, how do we understand what happens when you eat fat and sugar? We touched on it. But if you eat fat, it seems logical that fat makes you fat, right? It's the same word. It looks the same when you cut it open. And it seems like if you, it has more calories and carbs and protein. So logically, if you eat less fat, you're going to lose weight. Problem is biology is not so simple. Yeah. And when, when you eat fat, you actually stimulate metabolism. You cut your hunger. You release fat from the fat cells. It's called lipolysis. You actually stimulate your metabolism to burn 300 calories more a day. Whereas if you eat carbs and sugar and starch, even a lot of grains, you raise your insulin. And insulin is the key hormone that's driving almost all chronic disease, from cancer to heart disease to diabetes to Alzheimer's um, and, and, and even things like depression. So we have to understand that as long as we have high insulin levels, we're going to be we're going to be 
struggling to, to lose weight and to feel healthy and reverse disease. So that's why this whole movement towards higher fat diets is happening. In fact, even the Dietary Guidelines Committee removed any upper limit on fat, and they said cholesterol is not an issue anymore. They're still restricting saturated fat. And here's the problem. You asked about coconut oil. I did a, I did a, a Facebook Live on coconut oil. There was like over a million and a half views, and I'm like, holy cow, people are so confused. Yeah. And you know, you've got the American Heart Association, which, by the way, gets most of its money from the food industry and the pharma industry, as well as the American Diabetic Association. The American Nutrition Dietetic Association gets 40% of its funding from the processed food industry. I mean, they're the ones giving us nutritional advice. Right. So when the American Heart Association put out this report, they said coconut oil is bad because it has saturated fat. Now, here's the problem with that logic. There's never been a single study that's ever proved that coconut oil causes heart disease. It's guilt by association. So this all came back 50 years ago or more from this guy Ansel Keys who said, let's study a few countries and see who gets what and what they're eating and maybe we can find out the cause of heart disease. Well, he found out that people ate more fat and saturated fat had more heart disease. Turns out he left out a lot of countries that disproved his theory, like France, that ate butter and cream like it was going out of style and they had the lowest heart disease risks, right? Yeah. And then never really proved it. And then, and then that became the meme, and he was a very powerful figure and actually convinced the world of his point of view, which turned out to be wrong. And then we moved on to the late 60s when two nutrition scientists at Harvard and doctors were paid by the sugar industry, the equivalent of $50,000, to publish a study in the New England Journal, which at that point didn't require conflict of interest statement, to show that fat was the enemy and sugar was, was fine. Well, that went on. The guy, that guy went on to run the government's dietary guidelines committee on the first one under George McGovern, and that led to this whole era of low fat. And then we got the food pyramid, and we went in this whole spiral. And if you look at the statistics, you see that when we came out with the food pyramid, the guidelines, the rate of obesity and diabetes skyrocketed like a hockey stick. Yep. And now we're kind of turning the tide back a little bit. It's very hard. And I think most people still believe that fat is bad. They eat skim milk, low-fat yogurt, low-fat um, foods, low-fat salad dressing. And this is really dangerous. Now, the, yeah. the key thing to remember is you cannot add fat to your diet if you're still eating starch and sugar, right? A little bit, okay. But if the majority of your diet is grains and starch and sugar, it's deadly. So I would really never, 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 never do that. Coconut oil is something that does raise cholesterol. So their view is if you have saturated fat, it raises cholesterol, cholesterol causes heart disease, <coughs> cholesterol causes heart disease, and you shouldn't actually eat anything that raises your LDL cholesterol. Well, that whole theory has kind of been broken. And here's, here's how, a couple of reasons. One, it was a major study actually done by the guy who was trying to prove that saturated fat was bad, Ansel Keys, <laughs> and I got another guy, a researcher, I think from University of Minnesota, back in the late 60s and 70s, this kind of study could never be done today because it's unethical. They took 9,000 people who were basically institutionalized in mental institutions, and they did a, an experiment on them without their consent, and they gave half of them saturated fat and half of them corn oil. And then they followed them, which is almost impossible to do this kind of study anywhere else because people live in their free world, they eat whatever they want, you can't control their diets, so they controlled their diets, and they found that the group that had the corn oil actually lowered the LDL cholesterol. That was good. But for every 30-point drop in LDL cholesterol, there was a 22% increase 
in heart attacks and death. So the lower your cholesterol, the worse you were. And the saturated fat group did way better. They didn't publish the study. Why? Because it contradicted their entire worldview. So they stuffed it in a basement. And it wasn't until last year that researchers from the National Institutes of Health dug it up and actually published it and was like, what? You know, this is so, sounded like a movie right now, Mark. Oh, my God. Malcolm Gladwell did a great uh, a great uh, revisionist history podcast on this. It was really quite good. Oh, and man. then, of course, we have 17 meta-analyses of studies showing there's no link between saturated fat and heart disease. None. From observational studies, from interventional studies, from blood levels of fatty acid studies, nobody can find a link when they actually looked at it. It was just all an idea. Yeah. And, and so now we still have this idea that saturated fat is bad and the American Heart Association is still stuck on that. And so that's why they say coconut oil is bad because it's saturated fat. Saturated fat raises LDL. That causes heart attack. That theory has just been debunked. You know what? I think at some point in human history, maybe 10, 20 years from now, maybe a little bit longer, this is going to become a movie. And it's going to star Nicolas Cage. For sure. And he's just like national treasure. Somebody's yeah. digging around in research and they find this old, wait a minute. It was they a conspiracy did. the they whole did. time. They found this old file. Yeah, just like nuts. dig up in the basement. That's nuts. You know, but uh, the good news is, again, is that, you know, folks like you who are out here and sharing the reality of the situation and also pointing people towards better options. So I want to ask you about, because also with coconut oil specifically, and we talk about saturated fats. Uh, we're, we're, we're not including the fact that this is from coconut oil. Like, so what we tend to do is we isolate nutrients versus yeah. the food. So let's right. talk a little bit about that issue. So, yeah. So, the, I mean, first of all, going back to the coconut, there, there's, there's populations that lived in the South Pacific, 60% of their calories were coconut oil and they had no heart disease, obesity, diabetes, nothing. Right. So the evidence for this coconut oil thing is bad. Now, the coconut oil also has many of their benefits. It's got polyphenols, antioxidants in virgin coconut oil. And the coconut oil also has something called MCT oil, which is a powerful metabolism booster, brain uh, activator, and metabolism sort of activator. It's really, really an impressive compound. So coconut oil overall has a lot of benefits. And I think that, you know, we really shouldn't vilify it. Uh, and I think the whole saturated fat thing with it just doesn't really make sense. And yet some people genetically have a harder time with saturated fats. That's true. But as a whole, we're we're really okay with that. So there's actually a term, isn't there, for when we're looking at studying nutrients instead of the real yeah. food? Yeah, we call it nutritionism. Yeah. So we, we get focused on like saturated fat or refined or like PUFAs or on a mineral like magnesium or or some a fiber, right? And we get and this is what the food industry does. It, it works for them, right? If we say fiber is good, whole grains are good, well, they'll make whole grain cookie crisp cereal. Now, hmm. that is not healthy. It's got 22 <laughs> teaspoons of sugar in it, right? Honey nut Cheerios sounds good, right? Honey, nut, you know, all these right, healthy right, things, right. right? It's got more sugar in a serving than three Chips Ahoy cookies. <laughs> That's crazy. It's not, right? it's, it's like a, it's a cereal that, this is what they say, it's Jerry Seinfeld. It's not a cereal that's like cookies. It is cookies. Right, it is cookies. It's 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 basically breakfast, actually not really breakfast. It's dessert masquerading as breakfast. Exactly, exactly. Except tricks. They say it right out in, in front, like, hey, we got you, right? Trick or treat. So right. uh, yeah. let's, let's shift gears now because, um, you know, this is a, an amazing community who is really uh, about 
uh, elevating themselves, um, becoming educated in nutrition. We've got folks who are, you know, uh, vegetarian, following vegetarian protocols, you know, paleo, ketogenic. And here we're very inclusive and just looking at how can we all work to be the best version of ourselves. And so collectively, what I want to point people to and to talk about is something that we can all agree upon that you talk about here in the book and you bring some serious highlights that, you know, again, things that oftentimes we don't consider and vegetables. All right. So there's actually some potential. Oh, we got a special guest here. So <laughs> like Kenny, this is Yoda. Yoda. Oh, Yoda is uh, hopefully you guys can see the video. He looks like Yoda. If you go like this, he goes, oh, oh definitely. Love you, I do. <laughs> 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 so, uh, man, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Yoda is so cute. Oh, oh my goodness. All right, so vegetables, right? This category of foods. This is something we can collectively agree on. Nobody's like, you know what? Vegetables are terrible for you. But there are some things that we need to be concerned about. So let's talk about this category and why you put a whole section in here of the book on it. Well, I, I wrote a section on every group of food we eat. Like you said, I'm not focusing on nutrients. I'm not writing a chapter on saturated fat or on, you know, carbohydrates. I'm, I'm writing chapters on the food that we eat, meat, chicken, fish, poultry, fruits, vegetables, grains, right? So I want to actually make it simple because yeah. we don't eat, we don't eat ingredients, we eat food. Right. And in terms of vegetables, uh, the sad thing is that most Americans don't eat much vegetables. The number one and two vegetables we eat are potatoes yep. in the form of french fries and tomatoes in the form of ketchup. Now, neither of those should be considered vegetables because they're one full of harmful compounds. The ketchup is mostly sugar and the french fries are deep fried in processed oils yeah. and that turns into dangerous carcinogenic chemicals like acrylamide and it's fat and carbs which makes your insulin go up and gain weight. So, it's just these are not vegetables you want to be eating. And in fact, the most common vegetables are the least healthy and the most healthy are the least eaten. So we kind of flipped that upside down. And yeah. in, the, in the book, I talk about how to choose the right vegetables. And I also talk about how to be aware of where, where the contaminants are. I work for the Environmental Working Group. I'm on the board. And we've created a guide called the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15. Dirty Dozen is these dozen fruits and vegetables you want to stay away from if they're not organic. These Clean 15, probably not such a big deal. They're not so contaminated. But strawberries, like forget it. You never want to eat a strawberry if it's not organic. And I go through that in the book and I go through really what we should be eating. Certain, certain vegetables may not be as healthy like alfalfa sprouts people think are a health food, but they contain a, a toxic uh, carcinogenic compound. So you don't want to consume a lot of alfalfa sprouts. Or white button mushrooms that are in salads, they have a toxin also in there you want to be aware of. But most of the time, most vegetables are pretty good. Now starchy vegetables, depending on your metabolism, may not be as good for you. If you're a type two diabetic, you don't want to be eating a lot of potatoes and big starchy vegetables. But if you're not, those are great to include in your diet. Yes. You know, I'm so glad that you focused on this and really kind of pulling back the the curtain and really looking at this because, and this is something that we think about, but we might not really, really get. Number one, vegetable consumed potatoes. All right. Yeah. Right? Barely, <laughs> barely really a vegetable. Well, and then we've got, and no, French and then listen, Mark, this is so crazy. Like you literally detailed my childhood here. So you got All right. potatoes, number one, ketchup, literally, <laughs> literally, I would tell people that I'm part ketchup. When I was a kid, I'm like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm black and I'm white and I'm part ketchup, you know, like I'd, I'd like, you know, mix up these things and I'd be like, and I'm black part, and white and red. I'm part orange as well. <laughs> right. I'd say red. I'm see you. How'd you know you were there? You must've been there. Black and I'd say I'm orange because of all the cheese now. So that's number one. Number two is oh, ketchup. By the way, wait, 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 cheese. You said orange because of the cheese. So orange cheese. 
the, the, the slices of cheese mm-hmm. that we all grew up on, the government doesn't allow the companies that sell it to call it cheese because it has to be more than 51% cheese to call it cheese. So they call it slices, American slices. Look oh, at the label next Lord, time. It's guys. illegal to call it cheese because it's mostly ingredients that aren't actually food. Nuts, man. Craft macaroni and whatever, right? <laughs> All right. So listen. All right. So that's those are the top two. Number three is sweet corn, which that was again that was on the menu, and four is onions, which is surprising. Onions are okay. And then five is <laughs> you put the inglorious um, iceberg lettuce, and so this is something that gets me. You know, people are like, well, I eat salads. I eat that's salad water. every day. What kind of salad? Are you actually eating, you know? And so this was my life, minus the lettuce. Yeah. I didn't really mess with that. But this Iceberg is lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so again, and oh guys, I gotta I gotta point this out too. And this is what you highlighted here when you mentioned so first of all, you pointed out that farming is actually one of the most dangerous occupations. You know, the folks oh, that yeah. are dealing with pesticides and herbicides or denticides and the increased incidence of kidney, pancreatic, prostate cancers. Mm-hmm. And in two thousand disease, yeah. Crazy stuff. Um 2015, funded by the EPA, found that consumers who often are always bought organic had significantly less insecticide in their urine, even though they ate 70% more produce than people who bought the conventionally grown fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Nuts. Exactly. So yeah. literally coming out of our bodies. I mean, honestly, if, if we were food, we wouldn't be safe to eat. We're so polluted. Wow, that's deep. You do fat biopsies and you look at people's storage of pesticides ddt dde dioxins mm. i mean atrazine i mean it's it's terrible what's in us i mean it's frightening that's why i take saunas all the time and take a lot of cruciferous vegetables and why i take things to supplements to help me detoxify because we are a toxic waste dump that's nuts mark i can't believe you you just said that it, we wouldn't be good to eat so i want that's a question for everybody to think about if we were food we would not be safe to eat would you eat yourself <laughs> All right. That's the big takeaway from today. Ask that question daily as you're taking care and eating good food. Are you it's like the, you can, the cannibals have a list? You know, they like don't eat Americans. You know? <laughs> it's like don't eat tuna because it's got too much mercury. <laughs> All right. So let's shift gears here and talk about the thing that usually is coupled with vegetables, which is fruit. You know, when I went to a traditional university and I was taught about the food pyramid at this point, this is when I was in school. And, um, you know, we were told to eat. I believe it was five to seven servings of fruits and vegetables. And that is pretty vague, right? Because it could just be, you know, four servings of fruits and one vegetable. So let's talk about fruit and some of the kind of uh, really just kind of jarring issues with fruit. So let's start with the conversation about fructose. Oh, well, okay. So people go, well, fructose is in high fructose corn syrup. And there's anywhere between 55 to 70 or 80% fructose in sweeteners that are used in most foods in America today. And it's not combined like in sugar, regular sugar is glucose and fructose that's together in a double bond. This is free fructose. So it's absorbed very quickly. It goes straight to the liver. It causes fatty liver, it causes inflammation, causes weight gain, it's very harmful. And we are consuming huge amounts of this in everything. It's in it's in salad dressing. It's in ketchup. It's in bread. I mean, they put high fructose corn syrup in bread for Christ's sake. Mm. So that's really the problem. It's not the fructose that's in fruit because it comes in a package. It comes in a package of fiber, of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants. So it's okay to eat it. The problem is 
what fruit, when, and how much, and for who. So if you're a type 2 diabetic and you eat you know, a pound of grapes, you're going to be in trouble, right? Yeah. If you're an athlete and you're consuming more fruit, you'll probably handle it fine. And it's important to say fruit, not fruit juice, right? You look at Coca-Cola and Pepsi bought Odwalla and Naked Juice. And now you go to look at one of those in the airport, it looks like a healthy green juice or vegetable or fruit juice. You look at the label, it's like drinking two Coca-Colas in terms of the amount of sugar that's in there. So it's not necessarily fruit in juice or fruit in smoothies, which can be, I mean, how many apples can you eat, right? You can drink five apples in a glass of apple juice, but you're not gonna eat five apples. And then you got all the fiber and nutrients to prevent the absorption. So unless you're really overweight, diabetic, you wanna keep your fruit to a minimum then. Uh, you know, and they eat the low glycemic fruits. I talk about what are the high sugar fruits, low sugar fruits, like berries, they're great, they're full of antioxidants, and you can eat plenty of them, but you have to be careful if you're if you're overweight of type 2 diabetes. Yes. You know what? And you also did the same thing with the a ranking of the, some of the top consumed fruits. So the number one for Americans, quote, fruit is orange juice, all right? Yeah. Which is bananas. It's like drinking soda. Same thing for me. That was my number one go-to. And um, let's see. And also, you, you cited a study in here linking it to diabetes as well. And next on the list is bananas, which we've talked about several times. Very hybridized. Uh, and, and you know, recently I had a conversation about this on another show. And the host is from Barbados. And he was like, you know what? I never thought about this. You're so right. We had some kind of, well, we just thought it was normal that there would be bigger seeds in our bananas, right? And right. a lot of folks aren't, aren't aware that the bananas that we see, even if they're organic in conventional, you know, in our conventional grocery yeah. stores, have been hybridized to the point that they can't reproduce on their own anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah, so, you go down in South America, you see little red bananas and little t funny little bananas. It's like very different bananas. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of work. You know, we want it now. We want the, the sugar bomb and the so called, you know, the potassium hit. But what I want to talk about in regards to fruit is. Uh, the fact that, number one, of course, we talked about what's going on there with, uh, with insulin, but I want to talk about how we actually use them, right? So with fruit, look, we just mentioned banana. It's not saying that you can't ever have a banana, guys. No, I mean, banana versus Doritos, go for the banana every day. Yes. And so what do we, what's a more advantageous approach? Knowing that, you know, potentially we can get into some issues with the, you know, our glycemic yeah. response with fruit. What, what should we target and what should we be aware of? Well, the truth is we should be eating not like five to nine, but more like nine to 11 servings of vegetables and fruit. And it shouldn't be fruits and vegetables. It should be vegetables and fruit. And, yeah. you know, depending, yeah. again, depending on your own individual unique needs, if you're an athlete, if you're healthy, you can consume more fruit. If you are a diabetic, if you're overweight, if you have a lot of sugar issues. I mean, you can binge on fruit. I mean, I used to have a diabetic patient who used to eat a plum and his blood sugar would skyrocket. So you have to see what works for you. Uh, hopefully soon we're gonna have an amazing uh, new technology where you basically put a little device on your skin, it reads up to your iPhone, and it'll tell you exactly what your blood sugar is when you eat anything. So you'll know immediately what happens. And I, I, I can't wait for that day because I think people are gonna know, gosh, I didn't realize when I ate blah, 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 this is what happened. Or when I ate this, it was actually good. So I think that's that's a really good thing to think about. All right, let's jump over here now and really get to the meat. Yeah. Meat sans potatoes. And talk I wonder when you get to the meat of the pro subject here. And talk about meat. So this is a you know, very, very controversial subject. And you hi highlight so many incredible studies 
and looking at like, is this a actual, is this actually an issue? Is this the causative agent when we see increases of cancer? You know, this is one of the big things. If you eat too much red, red meat, it's going to cause, you know, heart disease, all this kind of thing. So let's talk about this and make this like the definitive answer on this subject matter. Well, well look, Sean, you know, like you, I, sure you want this too, but I want to live to be like 120 and be healthy. Like I don't want to do something stupid based on some principle or dogma that's going to make me sick. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I was aware of the issues around meat and meat's been vilified for a long time. First, because it has saturated fat, saturated fat causes heart disease. So cut out the saturated fat. That's why milk, I mean, my meat, meat consumption has dramatically decreased in this country over the last 40, 50 years. We've had a lot more chicken, a lot less meat. That may not be a good thing. The second is, you know, when I went to try to look at this, I, I said, okay, I, I'm going to, I'm a doctor, I'm a scientist, I'm going to go figure this out. So I got all the best papers on meat that I could find. I had researchers dig up all these papers. I printed them out. I, they were stacked high. I took them to a hotel room and I locked myself in for a week and I read everything. And I'm like, all right. So and I didn't read the headlines. I didn't read the abstracts. I read the methods. I read who they did the studies on, what their characteristics were, what the issues were. And what was interesting, there were really three issues that came up in that process. Mm -hmm. First was eating meat or not can be a moral issue. You know, I've had Buddhist monks as patients. If they don't want to kill any animals, fine. You know, that's fine. And they can figure out how to be a healthy vegan or vegetarian. And I teach them how to do that. The second is environmental. And absolutely, our factory farming of animals is the one of the worst things that's happening in our society today. One, because... It is destroying our environment. It's yeah. depleting our soils, which we need. If we don't, if we don't, if we only have desert and dust on this planet, we're dead. Second, the soils are needed to sequester carbon, which, if not, it goes into the environment and causes climate change. Goes in the oceans and acidifies the oceans, kills the phytoplankton, which produce half our oxygen. So we're going to suffocate. And the water, also, is required to be sequestered in the soil. If you have organic matter in the soil, it can hold tons of water. If you're growing food on dust and fertilizing it and putting all these chemicals on, it can't hold water, which is why we see mudslides and why we see droughts and why we see these crazy weather patterns. It's because of this. Uh, this actually, it's a kind of by digression, but we had 60 million buffalo in this country, which kept you know the soils healthy and kept the water in the soils and prevented droughts. And then we killed 60 million buffalo and there were like 300 left we got the big dust bowl in the 30s as a result of that. The, the straw almost destroyed America. So we're in that situation. And then, of course, there's runoff into the rivers that destroys the waterways. There's pesticides and insecticides that get loaded in the environment in our bodies. And it creates climate change. It uses one-fifth of our fossil fuels. So it depletes our, our one seventy percent of the world's fresh water supplies is used to grow animals for human consumption. This is a big problem. So from the point of view of factory farmed animals, no, we shouldn't be eating those because it harms the planet, harms us, and in fact has much different nutrients in it. it has far less antioxidants, glutathione peroxidase, catalase, less minerals, and it also has a different profile of fat. Wild meat or grass-fed meat has higher levels of omega-3 fats, whereas farm-raised meat is fed corn and that has and soybean oil, and that has higher levels of of the omega-6 fats, which can be inflammatory. Plus, these cows eat ground-up animal parts. They eat feces. They eat candy. I mean, there was a oh, giant man. truck, a giant truck that fell over on the highway somewhere. It was filled with, you know, out-of-date Skittles that they were bringing to feed the cows. So 
there's all kinds of stuff that we shouldn't. And plus, there's hormones, antibiotics. There's pesticides in the meat. It's so much less Wait, healthy Mark, than we got. We got to talk about this. We got to talk about the candy. All right. So we've said this before. It's not you are what you eat. It's what you eat ate. And yeah. literally, like we know what candy does to us. But this truck spill, and you talked about it, and this was all over the news. You know, I see guys in yeah. here in the studio even shaking their head, remembering this coating over the freeway. Well, it was a freeway, right? Red Skittles. Red Skittles. Be, and they were on their way to get fed to some some cattle. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. It is pretty nuts. So, so yes, from the environmental point yeah. of view, absolutely the wrong thing. But let's just take meat separately and look at the third issue, which is health. What do these studies show about the effect of meat on health? And, you know, there was a period of time where a lot of studies were done. We call these population studies. They can't prove cause and effect. They basically ask people every year, what did you eat? And then they say, what diseases do you have? And they correlate it and see if there's a connection. Now, there may be a connection. There may not be a connection. For example, smoking, they did this kind of study. And they found there was a 10 to 20 to 1 risk of cancer. With the meat studies, they might find a 20 or 30% increased risk of something, which is not really telling you anything in the context of a type of study that can't prove cause and effect. And when they looked at, when I looked at the characteristics of the meat eaters in these studies, it was like 500,000 people over many years, they were unhealthy because they were eating meat in an era where meat was bad. So if you ate meat, you didn't give a crap about your health. So you didn't exercise, you smoked, you drank, you didn't eat fruits and vegetables, you ate processed food, you ate more sugar and starch, and you weighed more, and you ate under calories more. Of course you had more disease. That's why these people seem to have more risk of disease. And this is shown over and over again. And when you look at interventional studies, where they actually give people a paleo diet, they actually do better. All their cardiovascular risk markers get better. All their inflammation gets better. Their weight goes down. So you know we have to really look at the science here. And then, of course, there are studies looking at meat eaters and vegetarians who shop at health food stores both of their risk goes down in half because they're eating a healthy overall diet and the meat in the context of an overall healthy diet is not an issue. So I think we have to really kind of rethink our whole negative view of meat. And then of course there's the issue of, you know, of whether, you know, meat causes cancer. And this is from the World Health Organization and you shouldn't eat meat because it causes cancer. Well, it didn't find that meat causes cancer. What it found was that processed meat causes cancer. And it was a 20% increase in risk of colon cancer if you ate bacon and hot dogs and bologna and salami. What did the study actually show? The studies actually show that there was a 20% risk, which means your background risk of getting colon cancer, 5%. Mm. When you eat bacon, four pieces every day, your whole life, your risk goes from 5 to 6%. Now, <laughs> unless you plan on eating bacon every day, four pieces your whole life, probably shouldn't do that. But a piece <laughs> of bacon here and there, it's going to have a nominal increase in your risk. And it's we're talking about a 1% absolute risk increase. So we shouldn't be eating tons of hot dogs and processed meat. I agree. But the truth is that the risk is, is overstated and amplified. Yes. And in the book, you consolidate, again, all the data. You're talking about the various types of meat and looking at, uh, again, some studies and not just cherry picking. But and then, you, you know, you give like a summation and saying, you know, watch the amounts that you eat. It's not saying yeah. like, let's go no. ham crazy, you know, and this makes me think about, you know, for example, you know, um, beef that was for a while there, you know, people still say this, like, well, I don't eat red meat, you know, like it's the badge of honor because, you know, like this is going <clears> to <throat> give me a heart attack. And the research indicates very clearly that's not the case, but that doesn't mean you want to just go and start getting crazy with the beef. And this made me think about um, that movie. I think it was The Great Outdoors. Was it John Candy? 
right? Where he had the competition to try to eat this big, huge piece of steak. And <laughs> I think, did he win? He, yeah, he held it down. But that's not what you want to do, you know? And you actually brought to bear this concept of a pegan, all right? Pegan, yeah, yeah. you got to talk about this. Because when I saw it, okay. I was like, that's hilarious. It is. It was a joke. I mean, I was sitting with a friend uh, and another friend on a panel at a, at a conference. One was a paleo uh, doc, and the other was a vegan cardiologist who was low fat. And they're like arguing and fighting. I'm like, listen, guys, you know, we're all friends. You're paleo, you're vegan, and I must be a pegan. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And everybody laughed. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's a lot of common sense in that. And I'm like, it's not extreme. It looks at, in each category, how do you choose what to eat? If you're going to eat grains, what are the healthiest grains? If you're going to eat meat, what's the healthiest meat? How much of each should you eat? The truth is that, that you look at those two camps and they agree on most stuff. One, we shouldn't be eating a diet high in sugar and starch. Two, we should be eating mostly vegetables and plant foods. Three, we should be eating good quality fats. Four, we should not eat chemicals and processed foods and hormones, antibiotics, GMO, and crap. And you know, five, we should, if we are raising animals, we should use sustainable practices. We should use regenerative agriculture. We should humanely treat the animals. If we're consuming fish, we should be sustainably harvesting them or, or sustainably raising them in, in fish farms that aren't toxic. And we should eat, you know, uh, if we're going to eat grains, you probably don't want to eat a lot of the inflammatory starchy grains. You want to eat more things like buckwheat and quinoa, stay away from a lot of the gluten grains. If you're eating dairy, you don't want to have factory farm dairy. You want, and, and by the way, both camps don't believe in dairy, and I'm not a big dairy fan. But if you're going to eat some dairy and you can tolerate it, it probably should be sheep or goat cheese, not cow dairy, which is full of inflammatory proteins and other factors that can be harmful. And I go through all the issues yeah. around dairy, despite the fact that our government says to consume three glasses of milk a day for everybody because it's going to prevent fractures and make your kids go strong and help you lose weight. None of those, by the way, are true. All of them have been disproved by science, not just my opinion. This is from the top scientists at Harvard who've challenged the government. And they said, well, sorry, this is what the Dairy Council says we have to put in there. So, And, and by the way, I'm not sure you know this, Sean, but uh, this fall, uh, the National Academy of Sciences published a report that was commissioned by Congress to look at the integrity of the dietary guidelines process. Do you know about this? Yeah. And, they, and they essentially said uh, the dietary guidelines process is corrupt, that scientists on it are funded by the food industry, and that they've ignored huge amounts of data, like all the data on saturated fat, they completely ignore it because they use the wrong databases or they don't look at it or they discard it. And, and so the guidelines we think are valid guidelines that govern yeah. all of our food policies in America are actually corrupt and wrong. So you know we have to really rethink all this and, and, and change the way we view uh, how we make sense of it. And that's really why I wrote food, what the heck should I eat? Because people just don't know. And I try to sift through all the the difficulty is because we hear some from scientists that can be corrupt. We hear from the government was corrupt. We hear the media, which is looking for headlines. You know, we, we have the food industry giving us nonsense, like health claims, which seem to say the food is healthy because it's got whole grain cookie crisp cereal. And, and I try to make sense of it and simplify it in a way that people can just eat real food and know what to eat. And you did an amazing job at that. And I wouldn't expect anything less. You know, guys, this is one of the greatest teachers in the world in nutrition and in health. And uh, you've got some awesome bonuses as well for folks that are getting the book right now and pre-order the copy or, 
you know, if you're listening to this a little bit later, you can go and grab it ASAP. But regardless, you want to be one of the first to get it. Add this to your library. It's at foodthebook.com, foodthebook.com. I'm going to get hooked up with these incredible bonuses for getting the book right now. All right. And he lays it on thick. He's just somebody, he's a over-deliver kind of guy. So you're going to love that stuff. But one more thing I want to ask you about before I let you go is when you hear about these different uh, topics, you know, like, and you go in and like really make a compelling argument about, look, we really want to avoid these pesticides and herbicides. You need to get organic costs. We really need to be mindful of the fact of eating that factory farmed uh, conventional beef. You're going to have higher ratios of omega-6 fatty acids, more inflammatory, and you're going to be missing out on all these key nutrients you're supposed to be eating it for. Price goes up, grass fed, right? So these things become an issue, you know, even in our non-perishable goods. So what do people do? All right. What do people actually yeah. do, Mark? Well, you know, you know, that's a great question. Now, the food industry has taught us that it's difficult, it's expensive, it's inconvenient to eat good food. That's only for rich people and the elite. That's not true. You know, I just want to tell you a quick story and then I'll loop back to what the resources are that I go through in the book, food, what the heck should I eat, on how to eat well for less. I went to South Carolina as part of the movie Fed Up to a family of five, lived in a trailer, food stamps and disability, and it was really a sad situation. And they lived in one of the worst food deserts in America. And everything they ate was from a box, a package, or can that had some kind of health claim on it, like low-fat salad dressing that was soybean oil and, and high-fructose corn syrup, or Cool Whip, which had zero trans fat on the label, but was actually all trans fat and sugar. But the only way they could say that was because the government FDA gave them a loophole that it has less than half a gram per serving. They can say zero trans fats. So they were completely hoodwinked by the food industry. And I showed them how to cook one meal. I gave them a guide called Good Food on a Tight Budget by the Environmental Working Group. And I gave my cookbook. I said, you guys can do this. And you know what? They did it in one of the worst food deserts in America on barely any money. They learned how to cook and shop and eat real food for less. And they lost 200 pounds in the first year. The son lost 128 pounds and now is going to medical school. Oh That's the kind of thing that, that we need to start thinking about. How do we empower families as one meal at a time, you know, one, one person at a time? And so... That's why in the book, I go to great lengths to give you resources. For example, I send people to thrivemarket.com. This is, a, this is basically Amazon meets Costco meets Whole Foods. So it's a membership site. They give away free memberships for people who can't afford it. And they provide all the same great high quality food for 25 to 50% off delivered to your house. So if you don't have a car and you can't drive, you can get this stuff delivered to your doorstep. And it's amazing food. And they're going to be moving into not just dry goods, but also vegetables and and animal products as well, and the whole regenerative agriculture movement. So it's really, really exciting. I, I love them, and I encourage you to check it out. And then I go through other things that you can use, like community-supported agricultures, where you can go from local farms, get cut out the middleman, and get fresh organic vegetables delivered to you, where there's online resources to get a cow share. You know, if you can't afford grass-fed meat, but you want to do it, you can kind of go online and collaborate with group and buy a cow and then share it. You know, that's really another option. And there's many, many examples of where you can get good food for less, and shop and eat and be healthy without breaking the bank. So yeah. uh, I encourage everybody to realize that, you know, you're just one meal away from getting healthy. And people don't know how to cook. I mean, this family, there were two generations in that family that did not know how to cook. I showed them how to stir fry. I showed them how to make a chili. I showed them how to roast vegetables, some basic skills. This is not rocket science. If people can drive a car, they can cook. And I think that's what we're missing in this society. And that's really what I want to encourage people to do. You know, What's so interesting about this book is that 
you make it very compelling, but also, you know, sharing a story like that, you start to actually see the end result and you see the impact that Mark is having on our culture and on society. And you guys heard it here first. Thrive Market is looking to do some additional things. You know, I'm a big fan of Thrive Market as well. And guys, you get 50 to 25% off the same things you'd find at, you know, great stores like Whole Foods, you know, but again, 25 to 50% off. Whole paycheck, you mean. <laughs> Whole paycheck, the nickname. You know, this is where we get our, our almond butter. We get our coconut oil. And this is like literally like 50% less then I'm paying at, you know, our local Whole Foods or another store of that nature, you know. And so uh, personal care products, you know, this is where you can get your deodorants free of toxic chemicals, you know, parabens and things like that. And also, you know, uh, house cleaning products. They've got so many great things. They've got categories. You can shop under paleo, gluten-free, whatever it is that you are identifying with and looking for. And guys, you get an additional See, Mark didn't even know this. You get an additional 25% off your first first purchase and free shipping when you go to thrivemarket.com forward slash model health. All right. So head over there. Check love them out. That. We just put in an order just yesterday. And uh, I just love those guys. They saved me a lot of money, but they're doing so much good with it. Can I tell you another quick story? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as part of the Dr. Oz show, I went down to this family, another family in uh, Florida, northern Florida, and they lived on a hobby farm. It was kind of an expanded trailer. There was like, I think, six of them in the family. They were massively obese. I mean, they're unbelievably overweight from the little kid all the way up. And I went down with them and I, I went to their place and I, I taught them the same thing, how to cook. Here's what we're doing. I got them a nutritionist to help support them. And they lost 335 pounds. And I went down to their oh kitchen after they sort of gotten rolling on this. And I looked in the kitchen. I saw nuts and I saw almond butter and I saw avocados and coconut oil and I'm like isn't this more expensive for you how are you guys affording this and you know what they said they said they said Dr. Hyman we were buying each of us in the family a case of coke every week mm. <laughs> we were had all these junk food we were buying we were buying all this other food and we didn't realize actually how we we just stopped doing that and that we actually are saving money eating this way so I think if you you know, learn how to do this and and get the right resources to get the foods you not you need. It's totally doable. Love it, absolutely love it, uh, Dr. Hyman. You are the man, and I appreciate you immensely. Uh, truly, one of the greatest teachers walking around on the planet. And I hope to see Thank you, you. Uh, just doing so so much more. And I don't see you slowing down anytime soon because food hit us like wow. I man, such a such a great book. Can you let everybody great. know again where to pick up the book? and where they can connect with you online. Yeah, foodthebook.com, check it out. You can go to my website, drhyman.com, sign up for our weekly newsletter. I get a weekly recipe, it's awesome food. Uh, there's lots of free information, lots of free videos. Uh, I just encourage you to check it out because I, I really am on the planet to help people get healthy. I, I know how close we are to changing things and, and it's gonna take every one of us changing what we do, voting with our fork three times a day and making the world a better place. So that's what I'm about and I hope you can join in on that mission. Perfect. Dr. Mark Hyman, everybody. And I want to thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. And this got, got you to thinking, you know, this is something that we kind of take for granted. We take for granted that, you know, our food system is, is, is safe, that our food system, uh, the people that are recommending what we eat have our best interests at heart. And that's definitely not always the case, but things are changing and we don't want to get all caught up in the conspiracy and the things going on behind the scenes because you have choice. 
Regardless, especially when you wake up and become aware of the process, you have a choice to affect change in your life. And, you know, you've heard the statement before that we are voting with our dollars. And that's really the name of the game. You know, if we demand it, things have to change. And it starts with what we do at home and what we are serving on our plates. And by the way, you know, we shared these stories of just teaching family basic skills, you know, these different families that he's talking about. And he has, you know, thousands upon thousands of instances like this. But um, this goes back to this quote that he has in his book. And this was from Michael Pollan that says, the decline of everyday home cooking doesn't only damage the health of our bodies and our land, but also our families, our communities, and our sense of how our eating connects us to the world. And that's really the truth. You know, how we eat connects us to the world. As a matter of fact, we're making the world a part of us, right? We're making the world a part of our bodies. How amazing and beautiful and kind of like this can be a little bit scary as well is that, you know, it's one of the most intimate things in the entire universe is we're taking something from outside of ourselves and putting it into our, you know, our holy temple. And that matters, right? That matters. And never before have we seen such an opportunity to kind of get this wrong. All right. Never before in human history, you know, only in the last couple of decades have we had access to Cookie Crisp. All right. Have we had access to Golden Grahams, Tricks, Captain Crunch? It's not Captain. He's not actually a Captain. I think that's illegal to say Captain. All right. And so these things are all new human inventions. We don't know what it does. Like long term, short term, we, we definitely know. We definitely know diabetes, heart disease, cancer. It's not a joke. It's not something that is, it's, it's kind of funny, but it's not funny, right? They've got aisles just marketed towards little kids to get them hooked. And we started off the show talking about how we've got scientists in the lab making sure that these hit those flavor, flavor notes, those taste buds the right way to get you addicted early and to get you to become what they call a heavy user, all right? This is a real term that's used by the big food industry is a heavy user. They want you to be a heavy user, you know, but when you say no, and we invest in what's real and what's natural, that's when we put the power back in our hands. All right. So again, keep that in mind, make sure to head over, pick up the new book I've got right here. advanced copy food. What the heck should I eat by Dr. Mark Hyman and uh, foodthebook.com is where you can find it. And really cool bonuses. Guys, I appreciate you so much again for tuning into the show today. Make sure to share this out with your friends. If you got a lot of value from it over on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those good places. And of course you could tag me and I always love to see that. We've got some incredible, please understand some incredible episodes coming up for you real, real soon. So I appreciate you immensely. Once again, take care, have an amazing day. And I'll talk to you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.